Welcome to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. This month of February 2020, we've been looking at different topics that are going to impact our community over the next 10 to 15 years. And on today's episode, I want to dive into a topic that very few have touched on, and that's the future of AI. On today's show, we're going to have a phenomenal guest by the name of Renee Cummings. Renee Cummings is an AI criminologist, an AI strategist who specializes in urban AI, using AI to design and deploy solutions to urban challenges. Urban AI represents her commitment to ensuring criminologists play a leading role in co-designing the future as cities become the labs of the 21st century. On today's episode, we get to sit down with Renee Cummings and talk about the future of AI and how it's impacting the Black community. And we are really excited for everyone who has joined us today on this episode. Now, I'm DJ Moultrie at the Black Equity Network, and it's time to get into this episode of the Black Equity Podcast. Enjoy. Black Equity listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to dive into a topic that I've been uh, dying to talk about. Uh, It's around uh, artificial intelligence. And during uh, February is our Black Future Month series. And I can't think of anything more futuristic than artificial intelligence. And on, uh, on the line now, we have Renee Cummings. She's the CEO of Urban AI. Renee, are you there? I'm there. Thank you so much for having me, DJ. You're very welcome. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. For those it's who an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. For those who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. 
Sure, I'm Renee Cummings. I'm a criminologist and an AI strategist. The name of my company is Urban AI because I think as we move into 2030, uh, we're already uh, seeing that cities are being considered the new labs. So all the experiments are being done in cities. And my approach is that we've got to use AI to deploy solutions to all the urban challenges. So uh, my vision and my mission is really to bring that urban conversation, urban culture, which is world culture, into the conversation about AI, into science and technology, into STEM, and really empower that urban dynamic in this space. How did I get into AI? Well, I'm a criminologist. And what we've been seeing is that many of the greatest challenges that surround many of the AI systems which have been deployed have happened in the criminal justice system. So we started with the risk assessments and these risk assessments that decide whether or not someone is going to reoffend is built on an algorithm which is like the blood of AI. And what these algorithms have been doing over the last few years is they've really been misbehaving because much of the data that's been used to build these algorithms have been data that we would say would be dirty in the sense that it's been historically sort of flawed because of the discrimination and the marginalization and the bias surrounding the collection of the data. So what has happened in the criminal justice system is you would find that these algorithms are administering justice. So many individuals have been denied bail or denied parole based on an algorithm that has made what we call a zombie prediction. It has miscalculated whether or not someone has a high risk of offended, offending because they're black or they're brown. The other challenges we've been seeing is with facial recognition, which has proven to be very inaccurate when it comes to recognizing black and brown faces or the faces of women or individuals who identify as women. So we've been seeing many challenges with artificial intelligence being used in the space of criminal justice, law enforcement, and even national security. So that's how I got my entrance into AI. So I came in speaking more about ethics and the need for diversity and equity and inclusion and a justice-oriented approach to designing AI systems. Nice. This is beautiful. I, this is one of the conversations I've been wanting to have for quite some time. You mentioned this this time frame of 2030. What is it about 2030 that is that we're projecting something to happen at that point? What is it about that date? So we're saying by 2030, artificial intelligence will add about $15.7 trillion to the global GDP, $6.6 trillion from increased productivity and 9.1 trillion from consumption effects. So what this is saying is that by 2030, in 10 years, most organizations will be using AI systems. Okay. It's going to change the ways in which we work. It's going to change the ways in which we engage with technology. And it's really going to change our life in a way that we have yet 
to imagine. So 2020 is when we're really, we're seeing the effects right now, but 2020 is really going to be that one moment, I think, for us in time. 2030, definitely. So uh, with, with so much happening within the next 10 years, how can someone who's listening to this, who's an investor, an entrepreneur, someone who uh, is getting into the space, how can we prepare now uh, for that shift? Well, what we've got to do is get the knowledge. And I think uh, people understand that AI is here. I mean, there are some people who still think it's coming, but I keep saying, don't expect those big robots to step out of the sky. Just look at your phone. Look how your data is being used. Look at Netflix. If you watch a movie on Netflix, the next time you log on, it says, because you watch A, you're pretty much going to like A, B, and C, right? Right, right. The other thing that we see with Netflix, sometimes when we're looking at a movie, whether or not Netflix may think we're black or brown or Asian or white, it usually highlights those individuals. So we get the image that would probably show the people who look just like us. That's your algorithms at work. If you're doing online shopping, you see it. If you're having a conversation in a chat with somebody discussing a particular topic, the next time you go on to Facebook, you see that company's ad right on your, your Facebook page, on your homepage, if you're on LinkedIn. These are all the ways in which algorithms are working. There's this phrase that says the data is the new oil. It's, it's more expensive than gold. So you've got to understand to be in the game as we move forward. As of today, you've got to have knowledge of how data is used and how data is misused to understand how you're going to invest. And you've got to understand that we are driven by technology. You're seeing how fintech is advancing. You're seeing the many startups. You're seeing where the VCs, the venture capitalists are putting their money. And you've got to just get involved in that conversation. So it begins by making yourself aware, gaining that knowledge, reading and finding out what's happening and looking at where is the best place to invest your money as we move forward because there is no moving back. I like that. So having knowledge of data is important and data is the new oil. I love that that way of thinking uh, because it really shows us how valuable uh, our data is. So how do we protect our data? And then how do we deal with, like you said, bad data or people who are misusing data? So one of the critical things and something I speak about would be AI ethics. Okay. And AI ethics looks at questions such as transparency and accountability. And because a lot of decision-making from the courtroom to the C-suite is being outsourced to these algorithmic decision-making systems, uh, we're saying that individuals need to be able to get an understanding, which is what we call explainability and interpretability when it comes to AI. And there must be some mechanism for redress. If an AI system makes a decision about you, and if you are rejected from some sort of benefit, or some sort of access, because of that decision, you need to know why. So you would find many of the big tech companies are now embracing and really engaging that concept of explainable AI, responsible AI, 
principled AI because AI is so much a part of our lives right now. So it's about diversity, it's about equity, and it's about inclusion, and it's about understanding as we create these AI systems. They cannot be done in a vacuum. The approach cannot be insular. It has got to be inclusive. So we've got to understand that there needs to be a diverse mix of intelligences around the table when we're designing AI systems. Now, you're kind of hinting at it already, but since we've touched on the word, one of the things I love to do is once the word equity is used, I want to understand uh, our guests and what their thoughts are on equity. When you say equity, what are you thinking of? What is your definition? What is your vision of equity when it comes to AI and, and the criminal space as well? Right. So just in general, it's about that equitable way in which we are going to share the knowledge and the benefits of AI. If AI is supposed to be for all, if it's a technology that we're using to imagine and design a better future, it means we cannot exclude. We have got to include. And when we include you, it's not at face value. It's not because we want to have another talking point or we just want to post something and saying that we are diverse, equitable, and inclusive. It means bringing you to the table and ensuring that you are able to partake in every course that is served at that table. And it's also ensuring that you have a voice and you can articulate and you can participate in the decision-making, that decisions aren't made about you, that you have some sort of agency in how those decisions are made, when those decisions are made, and what are going to be the results of those decisions. So it's beyond sharing. It's sharing, it's articulating, it's voicing in really dynamic spaces in all corners of the room that I am here and I am here to stay. I love it. And I know you kind of touched on this earlier, Renee. Um, when did you first come in contact with AI? When did the term AI, artificial intelligence, come across your consciousness for you to say, huh, what is that? When, when did that moment happen? And, and kind, kind of tell us what your experience was once you started diving in. Well, I think I've always been a, a big fan of, of technology and I've always been uh, intellectually curious. So over the last uh, maybe six or seven years, you know, I've been seeing the term popping up and I started to read more and more about AI, okay. mainly within the space of uh, productivity and efficiency and effectiveness and communications and, and really uh, closing that gap in the digital divide. And that's how I really got in tune to it. But when it really hit me is when I saw how these algorithms were now being used to administer justice and how algorithms were reinventing the ways in, way, the ways in which justice is being administered. But then I realized that somehow the individuals who were the most vulnerable in society we're again at risk of being re-victimized and further marginalized by AI. And what we were seeing would be things like digital profiling, digital discrimination, 
digital bias, digital redlining. And that's, these things made me realize, but wait a minute, if this technology is being espoused as the technology that can give us a world that we have never imagined, a world so amazing and extraordinary that it is going to probably the, be the greatest thing in our society, then why is it that we are use, why is it that we are using this technology to create old divisions instead of creating new systems? And, and that is what really got me thinking. And that's how I got my foot into the space when it came to AI ethics. And while in that space, I think looking at all the things that can make AI go wrong brought me to a place where I know all the things that could make AI go right. Uh, and that's what I want to do. Make it right for all of us. Make it work for all of us. So how are we doing that? What, what are some of the steps, some of the initiatives currently that people may be able to work with you on to help make AI right, help make the data right? What are some of the things that are currently uh, happening? So I sat down and I said to myself, how could I really make an impact? Mm -hmm. How could I really make an impact? And that's what I came up with urban AI. Because I think, you know, urban culture, as I said, is world culture. And we have got to get people talking about AI and understanding the implications of AI. So while we understand the positives and we know the great things that are going to happen with AI, there are also some unintended consequences and the individuals who become collateral damage mm. are already the individuals who are the most disenfranchised in society. I want to use AI to empower. I want to use AI to ensure that individuals are able to use this technology to better their lives and their communities. So urban AI is coming up with innovative solutions to the urban challenges that we have. There's this model called the smart cities model. Yes. And many cities across the world are now using data to make their cities more resilient. And my thing is this, I realize that AI is throwing a big party, but they've left a lot of people out of the invitation list. So with urban AI, I'm inviting these people to the party and saying, you have a role to play. How do you want to make a city efficient and dynamic and resilient and interactive, but we're very silent about a whole demographic in our cities? And we've got to look at that. We've got to ensure that it's really AI for all and all is included. So this is what I want to do. I really want to recode the streets put it like that. You know, we have a code on the streets. I want to recode and put STEM into those spaces and use STEM and use new and emerging technologies to change the culture of the urban space. And if we change the culture of the urban space, we change the culture of the world. So yes, use this technology to build us up, not break us down. So Renee, this isn't just something in our own backyards. You're talking about on a global playing field, looking at all major uh, cities, all urban environments to making sure that we are embedded into all those different cities. Am I understanding that correctly? You're quite correct. And this is why I've been so active in South Africa, 
yeah. and looking at other spaces in the diaspora because you would find in Africa they are moving forward with the concept that they call the fourth industrial revolution right. which is the AI revolution right the digital revolution and we've got to take the technology in South Africa they're doing an excellent job of taking the technology into the townships right and they are using this technology to educate children to inspire and motivate children to begin to come up with solutions to the challenges in their community and by extension by large the country we've got to get those conversations going in the US we've got to ensure that the big tech companies understand that they have a role and a responsibility to ensure that they are investing in the future that future doesn't belong to one demographic the future belongs to all of us and we've got to share the knowledge that's so true you know when i think about uh, what you're saying, I realize how groundbreaking this conversation is because uh, people that are listening to this, this is an opportunity to shift everything, to play a whole different game. Um, and for once and for all, like you said, to have that equity within our community around the world. Uh, so how can people that are listening to this, how can they work with you? How can they be a part of the movement? What can they do to, to work with Urban AI? Well, I think what I would like to see would definitely be individuals reaching out so I can carry this conversation just a little further. Sure. I think it would be wonderful to invite me to your community, invite me to your churches, invite me to your groups, invite me to your schools. I am open. I am there to share the knowledge and I am there to collaborate. I think this time, this era is about collaboration it's about cooperation. It's about creativity and critical thinking and communication. We've got to communicate with each other. Because of AI, because of data, we are more connected now than ever in our history. And we have got to use that connectivity to communicate the things that are going to empower, the things that are going to motivate and inspire and it drive us to create the kind of world that we want. So I want people to reach out. I want people to invest. I want people to know that we can do this. All of us, all of us can get involved because it impacts every one of us. And not only us now, but it's impacting generations to come. And, you know, I want to also dive into something you said earlier today on, on this episode. You mentioned about facial recognition. And this is just something that, uh, I'm very curious about. I remember that story going across my, my news desk about uh, a year or two ago where the facial recognition <laughs> would, uh, it would only be suited uh, to recognize uh, white males or white, white women, but it wouldn't necessarily recognize uh, black and brown faces. How does something like that happen <laughs> where uh, you have obviously uh, so many diverse groups of people, but yet technology at that point was only recognizing one type of person. How weird is that? Well, it's really not weird. It's okay. really about the training data that was used. So the training data that was probably used and which was uh, realized, which was uh, spoken about. And there's this amazing uh, black woman by the name of Joy Bulwami 
who is out at MIT, and she's the one who has really led the charge okay. when it comes to facial recognition. And what she realized is that she was doing a project for school, and she realized that the technology was not recognizing her face. And she decided to put on a white mask. And when she put that white mask on her face, she was recognized. So what wow. it shows is that this, the data scientists or the developers who build the technology, the images that they use to train the algorithms were obviously faces that lacked color or faces that lacked diversity as being female. Although the developers and the companies who are developing facial recognition have said since that investigation and since those uh, challenges were revealed, they have been doing things to really improve the technology. But what we're saying is because facial recognition is such a high stakes game, you've got to be more than 50 or 60 or 70 percent sure, because yeah. what it's showing you is that AI is making high stakes decisions. It's making decisions really about people's lives, about your future, about your freedom. And this is why we've got to be on top of it. And this is why a few cities have said they're either banning it or they're putting a moratorium on it because they believe there needs to be much more research. Although law enforcement, many police agencies across the U.S. and across the world are using the systems, but they're using it more in an internal space to help with investigations, which um, we don't know what the... Uh, results are in those investigations. But what we're saying is that we need to do our due diligence. And right. due diligence comes by ensuring, again, that there's that level of diversity in the design of these algorithms. There's another fantastic uh, woman out of uh, Princeton, Ruha Benjamin, who speaks about the new Jim Code as opposed to Jim Crow. Oh. And what she's saying is that there are many ways in which we keep replicating these structural and systemic dis divisions in the ways in which we're designing technology. And many of these biases and prejudices are slipping into the back door of design when it comes to technology. So what she's saying is we need to have a justice-oriented approach to design, which comes by ensuring we have a diverse mix of intelligences and individuals at the table, at the design space to ensure we're not making these detrimental mistakes with technology. Now, you mentioned another term that I all, once somebody mentions it, I want to make sure I dive into it. Earlier, you mentioned redlining. Now, we had an episode last year on our first season about what we would traditionally know as redlining. How is redlining advanced now with, uh, through AI and through technology? It's still going on? Well, it's, it's just more advanced because now we're using predictive analytics and we're using data. And this is what we call digital profiling and digital bias and dis mm -hmm. digital discrimination. Right. And we've been seeing that. We've been seeing it in criminal justice with the recidivism risk assessments. We've been seeing it in law enforcement with uh, predictive policing. We've seen it in employment where several big companies have used uh, sort of sexist AI hiring tools. We've seen it in healthcare where there's racial bias in uh, some of the healthcare algorithms and AI uh, driven uh, dermatology that totally 
uh, excluded uh, dark skins, uh, creating a dark skin bias. We've seen it in public benefits, and we've seen several cases in front of the court. We've seen it in finance when it comes to uh, a very sexist credit card mm -hmm. that was put out there. So what the, the redlining is doing, it's become more uh, energetic because right. of predictive analytics. And because now we're using data to create these digital profiles, and we're asking ourselves the question, what does your digital twin look like? Do you know that? Do you know what sort of point system that they've been using to create your digital twin? Does it look anything like you in real life? So these are the things that we've got to think about, how AI is creating or widening some of the divisions. And what we've got to do is that we've got to work together to understand that we've got to pull certain things back. And this is why we've got to ensure it's equitable. And this is why we've got to ensure that it's inclusive. And this is why we've got to ensure that it's not only led by the data scientists and the developers, but we have sociologists in there. We have psychologists, we have social workers, we have lawyers, we have teachers. We have just about every other profession that exists in society as part of that conversation. Because if AI is supposed to be as human as we are, We've got to ensure that it is truly as human as we are by including all those human idiosyncrasies in the design of this system. Now, earlier you mentioned a book, uh, The New Jim Code. Are there any other books? Uh, or well, the name of the book is actually uh, The Race, I think it's Race Against Technology. And okay. In that book, she speaks of it. There are many books that are out there uh, that individuals can read uh, if they really want to understand. And you can just pretty much Google the 10 top books in AI okay. and you would get a very diverse listing. Um, you can just start a Google articles if you don't feel comfortable or don't have the time to read an entire book. Um, you can get onto those blogs and you can see what's being said because you've got to get involved in the conversation. I agree. One of the biggest things you're mentioning is algorithm. And, you know, you mentioned Netflix, uh, but really algorithms are in everything now. And yes. so uh, we have to really pay attention to uh, the things that we are bringing into our space, because <laughs> a lot of things we end up calling towards ourselves by doing this action or this action. How advanced has technology gotten to the point where if you and I have a conversation, like you said, there's now an advertisement that uh, you know, 10 seconds later about the exact thing that we talked about. Well, it, it speaks about connectivity and it speaks about the power of data and it speaks about the interconnectedness of systems right now. Right. And that's what we've got to look at. So yes, so you would find sometimes in a chat, someone says to you, hey, I'm thinking about buying this TV. And by the time you get onto another social space, <laughs> Instagram or Facebook, all of a sudden you're seeing the company that's advertising right. that TV. The exact TV. Is now, the exact TV, <laughs> there's an ad. So it shows that everything is connected. Right. And that's how these algorithms work. It's, it's a level of connectivity. We can get away from it because this is where we're moving. Right. And the thing about AI, as I keep saying, it's probably the most extraordinary technology ever. I love the potential of this technology. I love what this technology can do for us in healthcare. 
the kinds of advances that we're seeing, the advances we're seeing when it comes to communication, the advances when we're seeing when it comes to things like the autonomous car and autonomous aircraft right. and, and certain things that can be done. But yet there are the other things that we need to look at. Do we really want autonomous weapons? Do we really want something uh, that can take lives, that has uh, no control? Uh, do we really want to digitally redline huge, uh, you know, percentages of, of our population? Right. Do we really want to do those things? So this is why we're saying that AI has got to be explainable. So if a decision is made about you by an algorithmic decision-making system, you are able to contest that. There must be some avenue for redress. The challenge there is because many of these systems are designed by third-party vendors, what they're saying is that for them to give you the combination to their black box, it means that they're divulging their trade secret, which is proprietary. So what they're saying is that we can't give you this because this is our secret. But what the industry is saying is that there needs to be some measure of explainability because it comes down to a question of civil rights and even human rights. So there needs to be some explanation. Many of the developers are saying, but if we tell you this, it means that somebody can hack our systems. But hey, the, the, the beauty of AI means that it can design something even more sophisticated and more uh, savvy. That's what there. So you could, you know, you can uh, probably buffer that with something else. So it really is about understanding the extraordinary benefits of this technology, how amazing it is, but also understanding it has the potential to do just as great damage. Yeah. And we don't want that. That's what we don't want. And we're in a place right now as a society where we can look back and we can see how history has not been good to us or the times where history really didn't serve all those groups who were a part of it. So we don't want to recreate those old divisions, right? right? We want to create a world. So I keep saying, if we could use AI to get the best of Malcolm X, the best of Dr. King, the best of Angela Davis, the best of Mahatma Gandhi, the best of John Kennedy, the best of, of Nelson Mandela, let's create a world with the best, right? Yeah. Of their ideas and their ideals. Let's not bring the old forms of racism and structural and systemic discrimination and, and prejudices and, and divisions among people. Let's don't bring those power plays into, into AI. Let's use AI to, to democratize and to empower. Renee Cummings, CEO of Urban AI, thank you for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. And It was an honor. And being part of our uh, Black Future Month series. This is definitely right in line with the vision that we had uh, for a Black future. Uh, just so everyone knows, if there's any final thoughts you may have of how people can reach you or any, any other thoughts uh, as far as AI, uh, the floor is yours for any final thoughts. Well, certainly they can reach me through your program. They could reach me on LinkedIn. They could reach me on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm always open for a conversation. And I keep saying knowledge is for sharing. That's what we've got to do. And we've always got to understand that we have a commitment to each other as part of this global community. And it's about using what we have to pull each other up because I think there's room on the top for all of us. And that's what I want to ensure through Urban AI. I love that. Thank you so much, Renee. Thank you so much, DJ. It was a pleasure. We are truly grateful for today's guest. 
If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity Strategic Partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email, djm at djmotri.com. Once again, djm at djmotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guests you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast. for sticking around on the Black Equity Podcast episode that we just had with the phenomenal Renee Cummings. I want to make sure that we continue our review of my journey through my MPU. Now, for those who don't know, this is an organization that is dedicated to showing people how they can capture and acquire federal contracts. And uh, the last time we left off, I was going through the first three modules, and now we are on the fourth out of six modules. The fourth module touches on partner and customer capture. The description reads, in module four, you will learn the seven-touch methodology, a leverage approach towards partner and customer capture. Now, what many people don't know is my undergraduate degree was in marketing. And one of the first things you learn is about the seven-touch methodology. So this was right up my alley when I heard about it. Now, uh, in marketing principles, it takes seven touches before someone can internalize and or act upon your call of action. Okay, so just a a refresher, the reason why we're reaching out to these people is because we want to partner with other organizations to capture federal contracts alongside them. It's all about a, a planned strategic partnership. So for those who end up coming into the program, that's ultimately what you're going to be doing is building relationships. And there is this methodology in marketing that talks about uh, it takes seven touches. So that means seven different times uh, that you'll need to speak with someone before you can kind of get them to buy into what you're doing and uh, to know, kind of follow the steps that you want them to take. The cool thing about this module with my MPU is uh, we've kind of leveled, we kind of brought that down a little bit uh, from the information that I'm looking at. It looks like it's only going to be three or four steps. So instead of it being, you know, seven touches. So for example, in marketing, if you're able to you know, get get in front of somebody on a uh, commercial. That's one touch. You've, you've touched their eyes one time. They've heard about your company or your product. So you have your one touch. You have your commercial. People are now learning about you. They're learning about your company. The second touch may be, you know, being in a store and someone actually physically seeing the product. Like, oh, yeah, I heard of that. They may not buy your product yet, but they've now heard of you. 
The third thing may be they're out with their friends and someone mentions, hey, this is a really great company. This is a really great product. So that now you're on three. And then maybe they see another commercial again, four. And then they go into the store and they see somebody else buying it, five. So you, you, you're starting to get the drift. And so in marketing, if we can get you to touch this product or see this product or hear about this product seven times, then more than likely you're going to be committed to what we're trying to get you to buy. That's what I learned in undergrad, okay? Now, how does this relate to federal contracts? Well, if you can find strategic partnerships that are going to be able to elevate your company and be able to land multi-million dollar, if not multi-billion dollar contracts, that gives you a huge advantage. And that's what they are teaching over at my MPU. They're saying, hey, if we can get in front of uh, the right strategic partners and we can figure out how to connect with them in three to four touches instead of seven, if we can figure out how to connect with them in three or four touches, we immediately elevate our game. And on this module, what we learn is, well, here's how to do it. Here's how to, you know, get to the top of an organization. This is how, once we talk to the top of the organization, how we can then be uh, referred to someone else in the organization and make sure it's done in a way to where we maintain all the leverage in the relationship. So before we talked about how important strategic partnerships was, we talked about teaming up, but now what we're at now is how do you do it? And so one of the things that I've learned is a lot of people will say, well, this is important. This is important. But then they never show you how. Well, that's what we learned this week while studying. Now, how does this relate to what we've heard so far? So for me, I'm learning how important AI is. I'm learning how important data is. And so one of the types of uh, organizations that I've been reaching out to uh, with my three to four touch methodology is data type companies, data type, uh, software type companies, because I understand where the future is going. And so I've already reached out to them. I've already done one or two touches. And so now we're going to three or four touches and pretty soon I'm going to have those strategic partnerships within this space. So thank you for uh, sticking around, listening to uh, my current journey through my MPU and federal contracts. If you have a, a major course or if you have a major uh, initiative that you want me to review to be a part of, just send me a message and let's get that done. Uh, send me an email at djm at djmotru.com and continue listening to the Black Equity Podcast as we uh, continue looking at the Black Future Month and also um, my journey through different initiatives in the culture. Thank you, and I will be talking to you very, very soon on the next next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.